my name is Aisha Zengin. And I'm Alex Rodriguez, and welcome back to another episode of Bone Group Banter. As always, we're here to discuss, debate, and share all things musculoskeletal. But first to the news. Aisha, what's making research news this week? Okay, so our first headline is, a new study suggests hormone therapy helps reduce curvature of the spine. The Women's Health Initiative found that hormone therapy was associated with a reduction in vertebral fracture risk. A new study shows these same benefits may also guard against a woman's risk of developing hyperkyphosis, which is an exaggerated curvature of the spine that creates a forward stooped posture. I think we discussed that in an earlier episode. That's right. And the results of this study were recently published online in um, Menopause, which is the journal of the North American Menopause Society. Our second headline is UK scientists brace for disruption as huge academic strike set to begin. Tens of thousands of UK researchers are expected to walk out of their universities on the 22nd of February in a nationwide strike over pensions that is likely to disrupt scientific experiments, conferences and lectures. 14 days of strikes are planned over four weeks, with picket lines set to be erected at universities across the country. Academics are walking out over planned changes to their pension scheme to address a large deficit in the fund. They say the changes would leave them worse off in retirement by thousands of pounds a year. Academics already face pay rises that are below inflation and an insecure career path and increasing workloads, Sally Hunt, the General Secretary of the London-based union, told a press conference. It has always been understood that part of the package that they could look forward to was a reasonable pension, she says. The willingness of staff to lose 14 days of pay tells you everything you need to know. Oh, that's not a very good way to start off the week. And I guess um, today's episode touches on a theme, uh, uh, you know, that theme of uh, melancholy. And we're talking about uh, chronic disability in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Yes, I thought given the recent release of the Prime Minister's 2018 Close the Gap report, it would be timely to discuss chronic disability in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Very much so. Good idea, Aisha. So in the PM's report, it states that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people experience disability at approximately twice the rate of other Australians. The National Disability Insurance Agency, NDIA, works with Indigenous communities in metropolitan, regional and remote communities to ensure they have appropriate access to the scheme. More than 5,500 people are currently being assisted by the scheme. The NDIA is engaging with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people through a dedicated Indigenous engagement strategy, a rural and remote strategy and the agency's Reconciliation Action Plan. Well, that sounds like it's a great start, but it's not enough. In the PM's report, it also says that in 2016, nearly three in four Indigenous deaths were from chronic diseases, Mm. including circulatory disease, which is more or less cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes and respiratory disease. These diseases accounted for 79% of the gap in mortality between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. And just to add to that, research on non-communicable diseases, so these are diseases that can't be transmitted between people in Aboriginal, uh, Indigenous Australians, I should say, has mostly focused on diabetes mellitus, chronic kidney disease and cardiovascular disease, as we sort of mentioned above. 
But musculoskeletal diseases such as osteoporosis, which share common comorbidities with these chronic diseases, with a combination further increasing bone fragility and fracture. So if you have more than one of these comorbidities and you have uh, osteoporosis, it greatly increases the risk of fracture in these people. So I find it very interesting that there's very, very little data on muscle and bone health in Indigenous Australians. In fact, most of the data that is available shows that fracture prevalence is higher in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Between 1999 and 2009, a study in Western Australia reported a significantly dis disproportionate increase in minimal trauma hip fracture rates among Indigenous Australians aged 40 years and above, in contrast to the declining age-related rates of hip fracture in non-Indigenous Australians. And to further add to that, Indigenous Australians are more likely to be hospitalised for a hip fracture than non-Indigenous Australians. Indigenous men were twice as likely and Indigenous women were 26% more likely to have a hip fracture compared to non-Indigenous men and women respectively. Also, hip fractures occurred at a much younger age in Indigenous Australians. In men, about 65 compared with 81 in non-Indigenous populations and in women, 74 compared with 83. So it's a really, really big age gap there. That's right. And... You've heard us talking about um, bone mineral density before, mm. and there's actually only one study reporting data on... One study. Exactly. Just one study reporting bone mineral density using um, a DEXA scanner, in, and that was in 2012. So this study showed that um, there was a greater femoral neck bone mineral density in Indigenous Australian women, but no differences in uh, lumbar spine bone mineral density compared to non-Indigenous Australians. So why, why is there still an increased fracture prevalence? Well, this was quite a small study that used DEXA, which has limitations in what aspect of bone strength it can, it can actually measure. So other bone scanning devices that can measure other aspects of bone strength and geometry need to be used. So apart from this, why is there an increased fracture risk? Well, a study from uh, New South Wales reported that the age standardised rate of hospitalisation, so a really fancy way of just saying how many hip fractures occurred in, in certain age groups, for fall-related fractures, so when you fall over, increased at a faster rate than for non-Indigenous um, Australians, with an annual increase of 3% versus 0.0%. So high Sorry, just to correct that, it's point. 0.7%. Sorry, yeah. So to say the numbers again, 3% versus 0.7%. Got that right. Thanks, Aisha. So high trauma fractures. So this is when you fall from um, uh, about one level um, above the ground, I, I guess. And low trauma fall rates, which is a fall involving um, you know, just standing from a normal standing height or just falling from a chair, were similar. However, low trauma categorised as falling on the same level was higher in non-Indigenous compared with Indigenous Australians. So, the, so there's always more to the story than, than meets the eye. That's right. And so this study would suggest that in addition to um, the bones, muscles play a role in these statistics as well. Exactly. In fact, studies in non-Indigenous Australians report that loss of muscle mass and strength increases falls and fracture risk. And we've actually spoken about this with um, sarcopenia expert Dr David Indeed. Scott in a previous podcast episode. 
Currently, there are no studies that have investigated muscle mass and strength loss in Indigenous Australians. And that's, yeah, and that's, I guess, important because that could be one of the mechanisms for why we're experiencing um, these, these higher falls and fracture rates. That's right. And it's definitely an area of research that needs to be addressed to help maintain optimal muscle mass and strength during the ageing period to avoid falls and fractures, like you just said. Exactly. So falls in the ageing population can lead to loss of independence, long-term hospitalisation, as we've outlined some of those statistics, or placement in residential care. And as we know, um, some of these care facilities are suboptimal you know, outside of suburban um, Australia. So to older Indigenous Australians, this translates to removal from their home and country. We know how important connection to home and country is further highlighting the importance of understanding the specific falls risk factors in order to formulate and implement more effective fall prevention uh, strategies, exactly like you just said, Aisha. So in summary, today we've learned that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people experience disability at approximately twice the rate of, us, of other Australians. Factor prevalence is much higher and is increasing in, in Indigenous versus non-Indigenous people. And we should also say that fracture rates seem to be declining in non-Indigenous uh, populations. So again, just highlighting that there's a gap between Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians. Yep. Um, um, there is very limited data on bone density with no studies in muscle health. And so future studies are needed to formulate preventative strategies that are appropriate in Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities. Very well said. So I guess that's all we have time for today. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and get in touch with us via Twitter or email if you have any questions. So thanks for your time and see you next week. See ya. See ya.